Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Several years ago, I got this uh, chain letter style email forward uh, describing the perfect pastor. Check it out. I think your church might appreciate it since you're in an interim period and searching for a new and settled pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. (laughs) He condemns sin roundly, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years' experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the elders. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church council and all of its committees. He never misses any meeting of the church and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches who are tired of their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send them to the church at the top of the list. And if everyone cooperates, in one week you will receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. So yes, this document's funny because it pokes fun at our often unrealistic expectations. And sometimes we don't realize that our sentimental ideas of what a pastor is and does are dated and illogical. Maybe some really are stuck back in the 1950s and have this Norman Rockwell notion of what a pastor should be. One thing that I know is that my esteemed colleague um, and co-pastor, the Reverend Dr. Dick Wing, is having your board read Gil Rendell's book, Quietly Courageous, along with other people as well in the church. And the book centers on this idea that what this church has once been, and has even recently been, is not what it is now or will ever be again. And believe me, I know that there is some grieving there, some longing and nostalgia. And I've been getting to know a handful of you who have been here, some of you from days of your confirmation class and even earlier. And I've heard some of the stories you've told of days gone by. And I've known some of your beloved pastors during the time I served as a chaplain at the campus. There is grieving to be sure, yet time marches on. 
quietly courageous, talks in depth about the changing dynamics of contemporary church life and helps move leaders into the future where they can work creatively and courageously in this new context. So my take-home point for you all today is this. The major task at hand is determining who you are now and what you want to become so that you will call a pastor who will help you move into that place or equip you to move into that place, into your new or renewed vision of mission and purpose. Now, I use this word equip because that's what a good pastor will do. Equip the church to move into its fresh vision of itself. Equip, not empower. God empowers you. The truth truth is that many of us are United Church of Christ because we like to think of ourselves as progressive. The pastors don't have to be straight white males and handsome ones at that. We're United Church of Christ because we think that we think outside of the box and have moved beyond this need for patriarchy and hierarchy. My hope is that we're United Church of Christ not because we don't like someone telling us what to do as much as because we're willing to embrace more and more personal responsibility, which is truly in line with biblical teaching. And I hope you're all thinking about a person uh, to be pastor who will equip you through teaching and preaching to do your ministries even better and inspire even more ministries for your little corner of this hurting world. You're all ministers of this church, all called as partners in Christ's service. And I have to say how very impressed I am already with you and all of the outreach ministries connected to this church that are very much lay-led and lay-driven. Kudos to you. Now, the text from Matthew today, uh, it's, it's the lectionary reading, and I think it's amazingly apropos for this church today as you are still early in this process of finding a new pastor to call, hopefully sometime before next summer. And I think most of you have expectations of that new pastor, many hopes and dreams of what this person will be like, and you need to lend your voices to the effort. And I think it's important that we all take a close look at what the Bible teaches about our earthly leaders while you are still early in the process. In today's text from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus reminds us that we have just one teacher, just one heavenly father, and just one instructor, the Messiah. Matthew points us away from human leaders, especially ones who do not walk the talk, and directs us instead toward our heavenly leader. And this is one of the reasons that the preamble to the Constitution of the United Church of Christ acknowledges as its sole head, Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior. We don't have a pope. Uh, We don't have cardinals or bishops interpreting for us. 
We have conference ministers and general ministers all there to help equip and organize and support the saints, but we have one sole head, and that is Jesus. And I believe there is such great wisdom in that because it calls us to personal responsibility. It makes us all ministers with one head, Jesus. We only follow Jesus, not infallible earthly leaders. In fact, our United Church of Christ preamble, um, Constitution preamble, goes on to affirm the responsibility of the church in each generation to make this faith its own in reality of worship, honesty of thought, and expression and purity of heart before God. The United Church of Christ actually makes us more responsible and more accountable to Christ alone than other systems with human leaders. There are no other intermediaries. So you will want to choose a pastor and teacher who equips you best for your ministries in this present generation, in this present time, in this present iteration of your church. Your future pastor must always point you to Jesus. Matthew reports on Jesus' words to the crowds who followed him and to his disciples. Jesus cautions them that the Pharisees do not practice what they teach. They burden folks, but they don't lift a finger to help. What deeds they do, they do for show. They want the places of honor and, and to be greeted with, with respect, and they enjoy their titles as rabbi. Yet Jesus exposes their pretense and falseness. And Jesus sums it up by saying, the greatest among you will be your servant. And we know that Jesus modeled servant leadership always. Think about him washing his disciples' feet. Think about him coming from heaven to die on a cross. As always in God's kingdom, the world's values get inverted. The ones who exalt themselves will be humbled, and the ones who humble themselves will be exalted. Paul echoes some of our Matthew passage today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13, our other lectionary passage today. And this will also be helpful for you in the coming pastoral search process. Paul mentions to the Thessalonian church that he and his colleagues worked night and day so that none of the fledgling church, so that none there be burdened by their presence with them. Paul, as you might recall, was a tent maker whose trade was portable. He, his point is that he had, and his colleagues supported themselves financially while also preaching the gospel there because they didn't want to impose a burden on the Thessalonian converts. Now, this is not to say that Paul categorically was opposed to receiving financial support. He accepted support from believers in Philippi and elsewhere who sent him gifts. In his first letter to Timothy, and in his first letter to the church at Corinth, he defended the practice of giving financial support to elders who preach and teach. Paul here is addressing an issue that he and his colleagues already understood, that accepting financial support could provide an opening for critics. So they went to great lengths to protect their reputation 
and defend themselves against charges of greed in the Thessalonian church. So this was the particular context here. And we have no indication that Paul was ever greedy or accepted any undue financial support. I wonder what he would think of some of the prosperity gospel preachers of today and their 17,000 square foot mansions and private jets. Of course, Paul had to live and travel to do what he did. The bottom line for Paul was uh, to cause no hindrance to the good news of Christ. He took care that his own example would be pure, upright, and blameless toward the believers there so they would also be encouraged to lead a life worthy of God. So the contrast in our two scriptures today, of course, is between Paul and the Pharisees in our Matthew text. The Pharisees were the ones that Jesus was forever sparring with. They were, they were the ones who did not model servant leadership, and they were caught up in titles and privilege, and they only did good deeds for pretense and show. And so, these are the kinds of leaders to avoid. The ones to embrace are the ones who point us to God and equip us for what we are called to do in every generation and in each new context or iteration of church. And Paul says at the end of our first Thessalonians passage today, God's word is at work in you believers. See, there's the empowerment. God's word is at work in you believers. We in the church today continue to have God's empowerment, but we always need equipping and inspiration as well. And I hope you will keep that in mind as you consider pastoral candidates. Now, I realize that we humans tend to invest quite a bit in our leaders. And sometimes I wonder if we do this because it's easier to blame them when things fail rather than ourselves. And so I hope that you are not intent on simply finding someone to grow the church or bring it back to its glory days in terms of numbers. I think any candidate out there might be alarmed by that request because it's widely accepted that the people, the laity, are the ones who grow the church. Think about how our Mormon friends, the Latter-day Saints, who don't have pastors, evangelize so successfully. Two by two, those LDS missionaries canvass the globe, and this is one reason for their constant growth. I had one person accuse me of not being able to grow my little Scottsdale church in the years I have been there, and I bit my tongue, holding back the question, so who have you all brought in? Now, my favorite seminary professor used to say that the reason we need to bring people into the church is to bring them to safety, to a place where we can watch each other's back. Church is the place where we can help one another raise children and collectively teach those children in churches that have children about the faith. And even if there are no children, and that's simply not who we are these days, as is my Scottsdale church, our participation here gives us strong ties and bonds so that we are moved to visit one another when we are sick and take one another casseroles when someone passes away. The seminary professor used to say that the, the church was like the ark 
in the story of Noah's Ark. The Ark was the place to get out of the rain and away from certain destruction. And the church is like that too. We, we bring people in so that we can grow together into a better way to be and live in this world. We learn how to transform the world together in church. Now, I'm well aware that churches can be destructive and harmful places too. Last week was Reformation Day. And that day commemorates the great reformers of the Christian faith. Martin Luther and others saw the church becoming a destructive place and wanted to correct its abuses from within, abuses originating in the Roman leadership. Luther wanted the church to get back to the heart of the gospel and look to scripture alone for the rule of practice. Earthly leaders in the church were espousing false doctrines and instituting practices, including the sale of indulgences. In other words, paying money to absolve oneself of sin or spring the soul of a loved one from purgatory and the suffering there. Luther and others saw the church and its practices getting woefully sidetracked by human leaders, and he called the Roman leadership on the carpet for it by hanging those 95 theses on the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. So this act, of course, was widely regarded as the primary catalyst for the Protestant Reformation. Now, as great as Martin Luther and other reformers were, they also had their human faults. But I will say that Luther never wanted schism. He never wanted Lutherans, sweet as they are. He wanted to keep the Roman church intact and correct what he perceived were its wrongs. But people, again, are always so inclined to follow and align themselves behind earthly leaders. So you see that not much changes over the centuries. It's, it's always the same thing over and over again, even all the way back to the churches in our epistles, churches threatening to split into the camps of Apollos or Paul. Yet, Scripture continually calls us to rise above our human inclinations to follow flesh and blood rather than look to God as our teacher, our father, our mother, and Messiah. My friends, please know this. The goal of the Christian leader is simply to direct us to Christ and equip us to minister and evangelize in this world. And I would say to all of you who have held tight that you are closer than ever and can have a bright future together. Know that church is always reformed, always reforming, which is the heart of the Reformation. We need to rise above this preference for the old notions of church and church leadership and learn to live in the dynamic movements of the living God. And by, do, by doing so, we are called to share our common life together in new and creative ways as we exercise the gifts that God has already given us in this local body of Christ. Ref, Reformation faith is forward rather than backward looking it's evolving rather than static, and it seeks to live and breathe in this moment rather than in a previous time or age. The greatest among you will be your servant, is what Christ says in verse 11 in today's reading from Matthew. Christ is the one who is the perfect leader, 
and his style was servant leadership. He modeled leadership for the church. He was willing to work to wash his disciples' feet. His life ended in self-sacrifice at Calvary. He showed his followers how to serve, and he demands no less of those of us who would carry forth his work on earth. Jesus teaches all leaders for all time that greatness is not found in charisma, in mind-blowing sermons, in superhumanness, or in Norman Rockwell notions of the perfect pastor, but in love, which must issue forth in service. And his service to humanity was redemptive, liberating. Christ frees all of us to lead and to develop our gifts to the utmost for use in the body of Christ. The perfect leader, there is but one. The perfect pastor, there probably isn't one. But a good one will equip you, nurture your gifts, and free all of you saints on this All Saints Sunday to serve. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.